Thanks, Samuel. Hey, if you've got a copy of God's Word, go ahead and grab that. Uh, if you want to open up your, uh, on your phone, whatever you're using, let's go to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Hey, we're, we're continuing our, our series through Mark. Last week, Jesus introduced us to parables. We saw this in Mark chapter 3, uh, in, in verse 23. Uh, where it says, and he called to them and said to them in parables. And, and then he shared some parables to help them think about as they were addressing Jesus and, and saying that what Jesus was doing and attributing that to Satan. Well, today we are going to be looking at another parable. And this parable is known as the parable of the sower. Um, or as we'll see later on, maybe better called the parable of the soils. Um, but this, this parable is great timing for us. Here's why. As you think about the parable of the sower, hey, the days are getting longer. The temps are rising. Hey, I think we've got 60s in the forecast for Wednesday and Thursday. Can I get an amen? Like something like, this is good news for Boston. Like we've made it. Like we're so close uh, to coming through winter. Um, but that also means with the rising temperatures that pretty soon earth is gonna spring back to life. Uh, you may already start seeing, see, seeing signs of this um, around your house. Um, but hey, here's a little nugget about me. I love working in my yard. Uh, as, a, as a high school student and in college, my summer job was working with a landscaping company. Um, and so I just, I, I love that, doing something physical with my hands. So when my wife and I, when we were looking to buy a house uh, five or six years ago, and we came to the current house that we've bought, um, my wife really struggled uh, because the backyard was not very inviting. Um, you can see in the, on the pictures here, um, you know, the, my backyard has like three levels. The first level, it, it's, it may be hard to make out, but there's very little grass when we bought this on the first level. Um, it was almost all dirt. And then you go up to the second level, and on the second level, there's a big tree stump, a dead tree stump in the middle. On, on the right there, you can see that there's like an overgrown bush. I'm not sure what's happening. Um, on the left, going up the bank of the hill, you can see that there's a, a big tree pile and rocks and center blocks. And at the very top on the third level, it was, in, it was entire thorns. It was like um, a thorn bush that it spread over the entire. Uh, and, and my neighbors even told me about the uninvitingness uh, of the backyard. But I had a vision. And so I, I'm, looking, I'm looking at the house and I'm, I, I've got this vision of what it can become. Um, and, but the first step for this vision becoming a reality is that I had to remove everything that was dead, that was dying, that was useless, um, in other words, I had to prepare the soil. And so, uh, man, I've got a picture here of, uh, this was taken from this past spring of what our backyard looks like now. Hey, uh, no, I appreciate the applause. That's not the goal. Um, but hey, I had some friends, um, Lionel and Kara, you can see the patio on the left that, that helped, helped us build that. Um, but like, Looking at what happened here, like I went and I, uh, man, I removed that tree stump that was in the middle. Um, I cut down the overgrown bush, the entire top. Owen helped me pull out every single one of those thorns. And then I took a rake 
and went through almost every single piece of soil in my backyard. Probably, I'm not lying here. There were, like you can see, I'm up in the heights in Medford. And so we got, you can already see some of the rocks in the background there. I probably thousands, okay, maybe not thousands, probably a thousand, at least a thousand rocks that, man, and that I just had to get out of the soil so that it could be ready for then me to sow some seed. Now here's the deal. I gotta keep working in my heart, my yard, every year. It's not like, I mean, you can get your yard set and, and let it go. Like, this is constant work. This is something I love to do. But as essential, as I was, I had this vision of what I wanted the backyard to be, an inviting place where my family and friends could enjoy, as essential as it was in, in preparing the soil, how much more so as we think about the soil of our hearts so that what can bear fruit and what God can do in our lives and what he wants to do. And that's what the parable of the sower is about. It's gonna invite you in to wrestle with this question. Don't miss this. What is the soil of your heart? What is the soil of your heart? Let's look at this parable in Mark 4, beginning in verse 1. It says this, again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you, it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will then you understand all the parable? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world 
and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Look at the context here as we start to break this down and understand it and, and try to, to respond to it. Look at verses 1 and 2. In verses 1 and 2, we see the context. Again, Jesus was teaching, and the crowds were so many. I mean, I just, I like, I've been reading this this week and trying to picture in my mind. Jesus is on a boat on the water teaching, because, and they're all on the land, um, that, that's the context. Like you got all these crowds here. He's on the water. He's teaching them. And then it says he was teaching them many things in parables. Now, the structure of this passage is pretty easy to pick up. He first tells the parable in verses 3 to 9. Then you've got an interlude in verses 10 to 12. It's almost like a little sidebar with his disciples. And, and they're like, man, why are you teaching in parables? He's explaining, here's why I'm teaching in parables. And then he explains the parable in 13 down through 20. Now, here's what I want to do. I first want us to answer this question, why is Jesus teaching in parables? Um, and so we're going to jump to the interlude to understand that. And then in light of that, we're going to step back and then walk through the parable to try and understand it and apply it. And here's what we're going to see first. We're going to strive to understand the two-edged purpose of parables. You may be even sitting here asking, what is a parable? You, you may have heard someone say a parable is, a, is an earthly teaching with a heavenly meaning. Um, but, but I think that would be overly simplistic. Uh, parables uh, had various forms um, of, of figures of speech that they would incorporate, but they were stories that would teach us spiritual truth by drawing the listener in with something familiar that they could understand and, re and, and relate with. So it draws the listener in with the purpose of eliciting an evaluation and then demanding a response. So don't do this. Don't read this passively. You're supposed to be leaning in, connecting, relating, understanding who are the characters, which one do you relate with? You ought to be asking, hey, where do I fit in the parable? Evaluating your own life and being eager and ready to respond. So let's, let's look at verses 10 through 12, and let's ask this. What does Jesus tell us on the purpose of parables? So I'm just going to walk through this back in verse 10. It says, and when he was alone... And those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. He said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. The first thing I want you to see here is that he's drawing two groups of people. You've got insiders and you've got outsiders. Do you guys see that? You've got insiders, he's got his 12 and those among him. And then he says in verse, uh, the latter part of verse, uh, verse 11, but for those outside, everything is in parables. And, and so as you think about the insiders, insiders hear the parables 
and they see them as teaching the secrets of the kingdom. Insiders see parables as teaching the secrets of the kingdom of God. Outsiders hear the parables, but they don't hear. That's what, that's what verse 12 is about. In verse 12, Jesus is quoting Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And he says this, they may indeed see, but not perceive. In other words, he's saying they see with their physical eyes, but they don't see spiritually. They may indeed hear, but not understand. They may physically hear the words of Jesus with their ears, just like you may hear physically today the words that I'm telling you with your ears, but they did not understand with the ears of their hearts. You've got insiders, you've got outsiders. The outsiders heard them, but they didn't hear them as the teachings of the secrets of the kingdom of God. Now, you probably hear this tension in the text right? I see some of you nodding here. Because in, in that quote of Isaiah 6, the last verse says, lest they should turn and be forgiven. I mean, surely Jesus wants them to turn and be forgiven, right? Like, why would Jesus say something and not want them to turn or be forgiven? I, I want us to wrestle with this tension here um, for a second. And, and I think the key, the key to understanding this is found in Isaiah 6. Now, let me just, I don't have time to go all the way back to Isaiah 6. I'm going to summarize what's happening. Many of you know Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6 is where Isaiah, he, he is confronted with a vision of God. And he cries out, holy, holy, holy. You guys remember that? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then he says, woe is me. Like he's, he encounters like the greatness of God in this vision. And he says, hey, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. And then he says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? This is the verse we usually quote. Hey God, who shall I send? And Isaiah, what does Isaiah say? Here I am, Lord. Send me. Hey, that's a great phrase for multiple march. Send me. Send me to the nations. But that's the context. And so what happens after that is, and God said, okay, you, you want me to send you? Go say to this people. And, and that's where we have verses nine and 10. Like that's what Jesus quotes. And, and what does God tell Isaiah to go say? He says, you're gonna go preach to a people and here's what's gonna happen. What we just read in Mark 4, 12 is gonna happen. You're gonna preach and they're gonna indeed see but not perceive. They're gonna hear but not understand. All right, so, so what's going on here? Here's what's happening. Isaiah is gonna spend the majority of his ministry preaching to Israel who had reject, who was rebelling against God and what was his primary message? What was his first message? What did the prophets preach? Judgment. Like, hey, Israel, because you've rebelled against God and rejected his commands, judgment is coming. Our nation is gonna be judged. He's, he's, he's telling them the exile is coming. And, and here's why the exile. We've rebelled against God. And so God's telling Isaiah, hey, while, while your preaching's gonna stir up the faith in some, for the most part, 
it's going to make more, some become more dull and unresponsive. It will, it's going to further harden those who are already straying from God. And with Jesus quoting this passage, Jesus is, is saying, my ministry is going to do a similar effect. Now, let's make sure we understand what's happening here in the Gospel of Mark. What have we just looked at in the past chapter? We've looked at a number of controversies, right? Jesus on the Sabbath, there were controversies. Now we have last week, like them saying that Jesus, what he's doing, and they're attributing it to Satan. And so Jesus is facing blatant opposition and unbelief. And now Jesus is teaching a parable to basically explain people's different responses to the message of the kingdom. So just as Israel faced judgment for failing to respond to the seed or to the sowed Torah, those now who fail to respond to the sowed word of Jesus will also face judgment. And so with Jesus quoting this, he's basically saying parables have a two-edged purpose. I'm going to quote Daniel Aiken who says this. His point is that just as the sun hardens the clay, it also melts the wax. So the word of the gospel offends the resistant and rebellious while it is enthusiastically received by the receptive. Do you see that? It melts the wax. It hardens the clay. To the receptive, parables reveal, soften, attract, enlighten, and give life. Some hear the parables and they're convicted and they repent of their sin and they run to Jesus. And let me tell you this, Jesus really wanted them to understand the parables. How do we know this? Because this is the tension. Like Jesus, did, did you really not want them to understand? He wanted them to understand. Look at verse three. How does he start this parable in verse three? What's the very first word? Listen. It frames the whole parable. The very first word is listen. Well, how, does the, how does the parable end? Look at verse nine. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It, look, it's like a, it's a, a hearing sandwich. This is the whole point. He wants them to hear. If he didn't want them to hear, he could have hid the truth from them. But he's telling the parable to outsiders. So if you're listening today, guys, don't miss this. And anytime you come to the scriptures, and I mean, if you're really listening, I'm not talking about your physical ears or your physical eyes. I'm saying the eyes and ears of your heart. You're like, man, I wanna know. I wanna hear. I wanna understand. If you really wanna understand and know Jesus, you will hear. Look, if you come with that posture, those are the type of people that God gives the kingdom to. So to the receptive, parables melt. To the resistant, parables conceal, harden, repel, reject, and even bring judgment. Some people hear the parables and it's gonna drive them to be even more resistant to Jesus. One author has noted this. 
to the, to the resistant parables remain stories about horticulture, vineyards, fishing nets, real estate economics, traveling, or banquets. Nothing more. I mean, could you imagine someone reading um, verses 3 to 9? Hey, that's, that's a great story about I'm going to go plant some seed today. But like, in other words, like they're, they're just seeing, they're not seeing with spiritual eyes what Jesus is teaching. And I, man, I plead and pray that this is not your approach as you come to the word of God today. Look, you can physically right now hear me and mentally be lifting weights at Planet Fitness. You get my point, right? You can open the word of God Monday through Friday and you can physically read and see and hear and mentally be somewhere completely else. Look, if we're gonna come and God's word is gonna take fruit and produce what it wants, we've gotta come hungry to God's word. Spiritual dullness and distraction has serious consequences. Do you know what you miss if you come to the word of God, dullness or distraction? Here's what you miss. Look at verse 11. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. You miss the kingdom. That's what's at stake. You miss the kingdom. James Edward in his commentary says this, parables are like stained glass windows in a cathedral, dull and lifeless from the outside, but brilliant and radiant from within. That's another picture of this two-edged purpose of the parables. What is it about the parables that, that makes it so cutting edge? It's Jesus. What's the secret? of the kingdom, the secret of the kingdom, and that's what Jesus is preaching. Go back to Mark 1. He's telling his purpose. I, he's preaching the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. This fundamental secret lies in Jesus who's speaking the parables. It's that what God is doing in the person of Jesus, he's saying the kingdom of God is at hand. And you've got to have eyes of faith to see and embrace that. So Jesus spoke in parables to challenge the reader and the hearer, and that's exactly what he's challenging you with today. He's inviting you in and begging for a response. How receptive are you to Jesus? What is the soil of your heart? So to answer that previous tension, the parables for those who come eager to hear and respond the parables reveal. For those who are hardened, who, for those who are resistant, parables can even further harden. In fact, what might be true of what Mark says later in verse 25, he says this, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. We should be ready, ready and eager to respond to the truths of the gospel. That's the purpose of parables. So now here's what I want us to do in the last part of our time today. I want us to look at identifying which soil 
best represents your heart. And, and let's unpack the teaching of the parable here. First, most people call this the parable of the sower. You've already heard me mention this a few times. Um, it's called a parable of the sower, and most of us can relate to this story, right? It's a farmer walking through a field. There was either a path in the middle or along the side, and, and, and he's just sowing seed. And, and from what I understand, this sowing would have happened sometime between October to December, um, and then there would have been sprouts that would have come sometime in April or May striving for a June harvest. So we're not talking about like over a day or over a week, like when I go sow seed in my grass, it's probably five to 10 days typically, right? We're talking about a longer season here, which we'll come back to here in a little bit. And as we read this, this parable, we can, we can all relate to the characters in the story. So you've got the sower. Who's the sower? The sower sows. The sower's Jesus, right? In this parable, and by default, like we're sowers now, right? We go and we, anybody who's teaching the word of God is a sower. But in this parable, Jesus is the sower. He's proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom of God. The seed is what? It's the gospel of the kingdom. It's, it's the word of God. That's the seed that's being sown. And, and that seed contains within it infinite potential for life. And then you've got the soils. You know, it's interesting here. We're not told, like, whether the ground was tilled. Like, it, almost the assumption is that it wasn't, right? Because if it was tilled, would there be a hardened path? Like, when I went and raked my whole yard, like, I'm tilling the ground. I'm preparing. I'm removing anything. But it, it's as if Jesus, the sower, is so intent just to get the, to, to sow the seed everywhere. Um, Justin Martyr says this, he, um, Jesus the sower sows in every corner of the field in hopes that good soil might be somewhere to be found. Like he, he's just, he's sowing it so that good soil might be found. And, and you have this picture here of Jesus given the four different types of soil. You've got the hardened path is one of them. The next one is the rocky ground. The third one is the thorns, and the fourth one is the good soil. And the soil represents various conditions of the human heart. And that's why I would say the parable of the soils might be a better name for this, because it isn't necessarily so much about the sower as it is to the response, the soil of the heart, and different responses to the message of the gospel. Now, as we read this parable, we see different progressions of growth, right? So I'm just looking here back at, um, at, verse, uh, at verse four. The seed that was sowed on the, the hard path, was there, was there any, did anything germinate there? Never germinates. Nothing. Like it's sown, it sits there, and it's snatched away. Go to the next one. Verse five, other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up. It germinates, right? So there's progression. Like in each of these soils, we're getting closer and closer to good soil. There's an initial sprout, but then what happens? It dies shortly afterward. What about the next soil, the, the thorns? Uh, verse seven, other seed fell among the thorns. The thorns grew up and choked it. So again, it germinates. Um, and it grows, 
but it did not bear fruit. It says, um, and then in verse 8, or verse 7, at the end of it, it says, it yielded no grain. It, it didn't produce the intended results of the sower. But then we come to the last one, the good soil, and not only does it spring up, it says it grows and increases and it yields 30, 60, and 100 fold. It grows and bears much fruit. Now, just some initial observations here about these soils. Only one of them is called good. Only one. The fourth soil. Which means three of the four soils failed to accomplish what the farmer tried to do by sowing the seed. What does this teach us? Don't miss this. There are many obstacles to fruitfulness. There are many obstacles to fruitfulness. And while the, the odds may be discouraging, the parable doesn't end on a discouraging note. Look how the parable ends in verse 9. Actually, verse 8. It produced 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. As I've read, most scholars would say that an average yield would have been tenfold. We've got 30, 60, and 100. This is exceptional. And so the point of the parable, like what it's drawing our attention to, is the fruit that is produced by that good soil. Now, one other thing I want to just remind us about is this parable starts with this Greek word, akuo, which means to hear. And it's, it's a command, it's an imperative in verse three. Listen. And then it's the same Greek word in verse nine. He who has hears to hear, let him hear. Actually, uh, another translation that the NET gives us this translation. It says, um, and he said, whoever has hears to hear had better listen. Like th that better captures the force. He, it's not just like a passive hearing. It's listen up or I might say this, you need to be all ears. Has anybody heard that phrase? Like, be all ears? I don't know if it's just me in the South or not. I see a few people nodding their, their head. What does it mean to be all ears? And I would say this foundational to a fruitful life is you've got to be all ears with Jesus. Here's what it means. When someone says they're all ears, it's like, man, both my ears are tuned in and you have my full, focused, undivided attention. Now, you can probably think, think of the last time you were all ears in life. Like I was just this past week thinking through like, man, when I first, you guys know, I, I've talked about my story of walking on playing football at Appalachian State. Man, when my coach said something, I was all ears. I'm trying to earn a spot on the team. I can't miss one word. There have been some very influential authors of books I've read. And then I've gone to like hear them teach or preach in person. And you know what? I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. I am all ears. Think of an example of when you have been all ears. That's what Jesus is asking us. This parable is inviting us to be a, to a life of all ears in response to Jesus. He wants your full undivided Attention, everything hangs on how well we hear Jesus. All right, here's what I want to do now. I want to jump down to the explanation of the parable. And that's how we're going to wrap up our time. So let, let's focus in on 13 through 20. In verse 13, 
It says, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And what I think Jesus is getting at is the parable of the sower is foundational to all of them. He's, he's saying, man, the way you approach the parables, the way you hear is essential. If you're going to understand and apply any of them, this is the approach that you've got to take. This is the soil that you've got to have in the soil of your heart. And then he continues and he explains. And what we're going to look at is the four soils. And now I want you to ask this question, which soil best identifies the soil of your heart? The first one is this. You have a hardened heart, a hardened heart. Heart. Verse 14, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear Satan, so the birds of the air that come and grab the seed, that's now identified as Satan. Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Some people hear God's word. But like a hardened path, the truth does not penetrate for whatever reason, and Satan snatches it away. Their heart is un, unresponsive and resistant to the gospel. Guys, listen, Satan does not want the seed of the gospel to germinate in your heart. And he will do whatever it takes to keep it from germinating. 2 Corinthians Chapter four, verses three through four says this, Paul writes, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan wants to blind your eyes so that you may even physically see the words of the gospel, but not spiritually see them in your heart. This is the hardened heart. And how does Satan do this? One, through pride and self-reliance. I mean, a, a foundational to responding to the gospel is admitting, I need help. It's a cry, God, I need you. If you don't need God, you don't need the gospel. I mean, all of us need God. But you see, like Satan wants you to believe you don't need God. You're self-reliant. You're sufficient. You're like building up who you are. In our world, that they want you to like, that's what they want you to believe the lie. Like, man, you don't need God. Suffering. Go read Job. Satan's like, hey, hey, you just give me him and I'm gonna go after him and have, he's, gonna, he's gonna try to take everything from you. Look, guys, listen up. Some of you may be going through severe suffering. You may be facing someone you know who's going through suffering. Satan wants you to question the goodness of God. He wants you to, live, to give him to the lie that the gospel is not worth the trouble that it brings. You know what? Satan's not mentioned in the rest of these, but I believe he's at work in all of them. Like Satan wants to distract you. Satan wants you to give into the deceitfulness of riches. Satan wants you to get preoccupied with the cares of this world. Like, the, like Satan's all for all of those, even though he's not mentioned. So one, you've got a, a hardened heart. The second soil you see here is a 
shallow heart. Look at verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. Hey, I can get this. Man, when I, when I was working in my yard, and I, like, I'm tilling, like, so, there was one spot uh, before you walked up the stairs that, the, that I didn't know it at the time, but the soil was really shallow. And the seed, like, it, it looked amazing. And then after a few weeks, it was dead. And what I came to find out is there was like two inches of soil and underneath it was a concrete um, center block there. Now, now I've dug and got that out of the way so that it doesn't mess with my grass. But he, hey, do you see what's happening here? You can even respond initially to Jesus with joy. Listen. What we see here is not an initial response. What Jesus is after is not an initial response. He's after a life pursuit of a good soil. So we don't put our confidence on an initial, hey, man, some of you may want Jesus right now because, man, you're here because you're facing really hard times. But when the hardships go away, like, like man, you're not coming back. You're just here because you want to short something. You're in need. Look, Jesus wants all of you for life. So you have a shallow heart here. And here's what Jesus mentions. He says, um, and these are on the, 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 um, the rocky ground. In verse 17, they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word. They immediately fall away. This could be persecution because you're following Jesus. Hey, you know what? When you start like really listening to Jesus and doing what he says, the people in Medford or greater Boston, they, man, they think you're foolish. They're gonna think you're foolish. So if you wanna please Medford or greater Boston, like we wanna live to please God. So I'm just preparing you. If like you wanna commit to follow Jesus, no, people are gonna say you're foolish because they don't have the spiritual eyes to see what you see. So come ready. Don't be surprised when there's persecution. Don't be surprised when there is suffering. I think one of the things that Satan wants, he wants to mask us to see God's design for suffering. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, this is what Peter writes. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuous of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by the fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. What's he saying here? You've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuous of your faith, trials show that your faith is real. It's like gold. The way gold is refined, throw it in the furnace, throw it in the fire, and it's gonna show the purities. The way your faith is proved genuine is go through suffering, go through persecution, and show that you are faithful to Jesus. Suffering will either drive you away from God if you think it's pointless, or if you think God's not in control, or you can respond to it like Joseph in Genesis 50, what you meant for evil God meant for good. Or you can look at the cross of Christ. Jesus faced the greatest suffering and persecution and God was sovereign over it all. We see a shallow heart. The third heart is we see a distracted heart. From my perspective, I believe this is where Satan attacks most of us in the US. 
Look at the things that he mentions here in verse 18. Others are the ones sent among thorns. Those are the ones who hear the word, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things. These aren't necessarily bad things. All of us have cares of the world. I got a car, I got a house, I've got five kids, I've got a job, I've got a mortgage, I've got to go get my car inspected. Like we could keep going on. All of us have the cares. They're not sinful, evil things. Man, money could be seen as a blessing. Desires for other things. But here's the point. The point here is it's distracted. And what Satan wants to do in a lot of us is he wants you to be so distracted in life that there is not space in your heart for the seed of the gospel to grow. Catch this, D.A. Carson notes, these thorns are so subtle that one may not even be aware of the choking that's going on. Here's why this is so dangerous. You may not even be aware that the distractions in life are choking the Word of God being able to thrive. So you can ask yourself this this question. What distractions, what are the rocks, what are the thorns that need to be pruned in your life so that the Word of God can better grow and thrive? Look, we're all, the point isn't to like reject the things of the world. The point is seek first the kingdom. Run after Jesus. He's your greatest treasure. How do riches deceive us? 1 Timothy 6, Paul writes, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Do you see that? Riches are uncertain. Don't put your hope in Things that are uncertain, hope in God, he continues, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to be good, to do good, be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Don't store up for things on this earth because when you die, you will take nothing with you. Every single one of us, the billionaire to the, to the homeless, we're taking nothing with us. So what's his argument here? Store up treasures in heaven. How do you do that? Be generous. Give. You have a hardened heart. You have a shallow heart. You have a distracted heart. And then you have a fruitful heart. One of the things that it's not a, easily to discern here is that there's a verb tense shift when we come to verse 20. All the way through on these different hearts where it says, when they hear, it was an aorist tense verb. But when we come to verse 20, it is a present tense verb. When we come to verse 20, it says, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear. What's the point? What is this, like a present tense verb? It's, he's referring to continual, ongoing hearing is what produces a fruitful heart. The focus isn't on a single moment of hearing, but a hearing of your entire life. Think about it. Trials come over time. Riches are gained through time. Fruit grows over time. 
He's not talking about one day and responding to Jesus. He says, step back and look at your life. Is your life characterized by, by a responsive, receptive, continual hearing of Jesus and doing what he says? Daryl Bach in his commentary says, getting to fruitfulness takes tenacity and in, in embracing the word and patience and cultivating it. And here's the main point I want you to see today. Cultivate a fruitful heart by being all ears to the word of God. I mean, this is really the song we sang earlier, build my life. I'm gonna build my life on the word of God. I'm building it. I'm gonna cultivate a fruitful heart by being all ears to the word of God. How can you be that kind of soul? They're like, we're not given any commands on how to do this outside of this command to listen, to hear, but I wanna give you three things. If you wanna, man, if you're like, man, that's the heart I want, John. If you could give me three things, what would you share? The first one is this, pursue humility. Pursue humility. Isaiah 66, two says this, but this is to the one, this is the one to whom I will look. He who was humble, and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. When you come to the word of God on Sundays in community group, when you read it, are you coming as a skeptic or are you coming trembling and, and accepting this is the word of God that gives life? Are you coming saying, yeah, I'll choose that one and not that one? Or are you humbly saying, God, whatever you say, Jesus, whatever you teach, you're gonna, my life is gonna be shaped by your word. Because what I often see, particularly in our age, is the, we like some of the commands of Jesus, but not others. And that's not a disciple that's coming with the soil that's ready to hear. We don't get to pick and choose which commands of Jesus we want. We come and say, Jesus, your commands are good, all of them. You come and help me to believe and follow and give me life in them. Second thing, pray for eyes to see and ears to hear. Psalm 119 verse 18 says this, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things of your law. You want homework this week? Go read through Psalm 119 and just start praying it. That'll cultivate the good soul of your heart. The third thing, prune away the obstacles to fruitfulness in your life. Prune away the obstacles. What are the distractions? Where is money deceiving you? Where are the cares of the world? Where's persecution or suffering or trials? You know what? Here's my prayer as we wrap up. My prayer for RHC is this. Father, may we be good soil, deeply plowed, free of rocks and thorns, moist from the rains of the Holy Spirit, and eager and responsive Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, morning, noon, evening. May we be responsive to say, God, your word is life. Come and plant in my heart and produce 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. 
God, do that in our church. Do that in our people. God, crush the pride in our life. Give us humility. God, I pray this week, would you give us eyes to see wondrous things from your law? God, come have your way among us. We want to listen. We want to have ears to hear what you say. 